1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Right now, reports on manufacturing and housing starts are out, along with the latest numbers on jobless claims. Brian Westbury, chief economist at First Trust Advisors, is joining us. He's based in Wheaton. Brian, let's begin with the jobless claims. Higher than expected. Uh, Still low if you're looking at them uh, historically. What do you make of these numbers?
3: Oh, yeah, Cisco! These are some of the lowest numbers we've we've ever seen in terms <clears throat> in terms of initial claims, which are people that file for unemployment benefits. So what's happening today is that there's there's not many layoffs happening in the economy. in fact, we all know looking everywhere around the the city and uh the suburbs that there are help wanted signs everywhere so uh not many people uh, lining up to file for unemployment benefits right now
2: and it, when we're thinking in the wider economy i mean that that's good. you have fewer people being laid off in yet you still have as you mentioned a lot of people still looking for employees and they just can't seem to find them
3: yeah I think uh well there you know pandemic unemployment benefits ran out in September, I know that seems like a long time ago now but but people did add to their savings there are also new child uh care. Benefits that are still being paid out; those will be paid out uh, through the middle of January. So there's still a lot of money coming from the federal government, and and I believe that uh, many workers expected the, the the new bills that Congress is working on to, to pay out even more money. So a lot of people uh, became used to getting checks uh, during the pandemic, uh, and I don't think they realize yet. And they also have savings in the bank, uh, but they don't realize yet that that's not going to start up again.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's not coming back. Uh, Let's talk about the (gasps) housing situation because that that certainly impacts much more than just people looking for homes. Housing starts surging. Uh, Talk about that because that's a change from what we've been experiencing.
3: Yeah, it has. Uh, Right, you know, obviously during March and April and May of last year, everything came to a, uh, a stop. Housing picked up real quickly, then slowed down because of supply chain issues. And so I'm going to mix up two reports we, we received today. One was on production, uh, and just one piece of evidence in there is that auto production is now up two months in a row. And I know that's not housing, but uh, uh, hear my point, and that is that means supply chains are start, starting to ease because they couldn't get parts. Now they can, they're building. I think the same is true in the housing sector as well, that finally some workers are coming back. uh, Finally, there are things that were stuck in the supply chains that are being released. And as a result, the housing numbers look really, really strong, especially with these uh, super low interest rates.
2: Thanks so much for all of the analysis, Brian Westbury, Chief Economist at First Trust Advisors. Chicago's well-known Francesca Restaurant Group is getting a new name and making changes at more than a dozen locations. Let's find out what's behind it. Scott Harris is here, founder of Scott Harris Hospitality. Uh, Scott, uh, tell us. Let's let's begin with the rebrand. Francesca's Restaurant Group. Tell us what's behind the that name change. Well,
0: you know, it's been uh, 30 years since I opened my first Mia Francesca. You know, I started uh, in my 20s working at some, uh, for your old school guests, uh, kitchens like the 95th, Umbria, uh, Cucina Cucina, Harry's Cafe, Solo Mio. But the one that led me to Italian was a uh, Trattoria Roma. And it's been 30 years, and I thought it was time for a refresh uh, of the whole group while we're doing some creative, new, exciting concepts. And I thought it was time. Uh, remodeling. Um, probably going to take two to three years to remodel all the fifteen Francescas we have, and then we 're growing uh, out of state and growing through the country so Francesca's uh, Scott Harris hospitality is rebranded as of
2: today. Well, let's talk about that it actually expanding because obviously we know you in the Chicago area and and you're looking to just keep moving and take this great concept to other places
0: that's correct uh, we are. We have uh, nine concepts we're working on right now. Uh, We have Francesca's, our Vivante wine concept, uh, Mexican concept, Fat Rosie's. Uh, We have our Mediterranean concept, Vasili's, DeSoto Joe's Imports. And uh, come beginning of the year, we'll be opening up uh, Fiori and Zayt Lounge, a sophisticated cocktail lounge. And then we're finishing up with RJC Food Company. And uh, we are looking right now in Charlotte, in Dallas, in uh, Memphis. Those are the three cities we're looking at to, to start first. Uh, we are also looking at in Indianapolis, so very excited about that.
2: So talk to, because obviously here on the Noon Business Hour, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who listen, and, and they want that sort of expansion with their business. There are challenges with it. There are opportunities with it. Just give them maybe a little bit of advice on going for it, because if you don't expand like that, you, you don't really reach your full potential.
0: Well, you know, everyone's different. I have friends that just have their one, one-off one uh, a uh, restaurant where there's a chef at and they really enjoy that but that's not who i am um, i've got some very talented people i've brought aboard um some names that people might know in the city jason Euler, dudley nieto for my mexican concepts uh guillermo Tellis, who's uh who's renowned uh chef from back in the day with trotters so i've brought some really serious chefs aboard in front of the house people and uh so unless you have the team behind you very very difficult to expand um and these guys are going to take it to another level. We're really excited about what's happening. We're very excited.
2: Talk about uh, what you have to do in order to to consistently remain on the cutting edge. Because I mean, you can have a great concept, but if it doesn't evolve over the years, it, it may not have staying power.
0: Yeah, you really have to stay ahead of the game. I mean, that's why we're rebranding Francesca's um, the pastas. You know, I talked to my daughter. I'm looking at my daughter who's 28 and. Uh, and all the kids now, and you know, my daughters, uh, that age generation, they're having kids, and they're not eating a big bowl of pastas anymore. They're eating much smaller portions, maybe a half order of pasta, uh, more tapas style. And that's the way we're going to go, heavily on vegetables, uh, proteins. And we're just going to change up our menu uh, to make it chef-driven in a, in a large cocktail program. But you always have to evolve with the times. I mean, they change so much over the years, it's, uh, it's unbelievable.
2: If not, you get left behind for sure. Well, uh, good talking with you. Good luck to you. That is Scott Harris. Francesca's Restaurant Group is now Scott Harris Hospitality. (laughs) A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Expected changes in the U.S. tax code could have a big impact on domestic marijuana businesses and the value of their stocks. That may create some opportunities. Michael Palumbo is here, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk. Uh, Michael, let's—I mean, I guess we don't need to get deep into the tax law here. But what, what kind of changes are coming that, that will specifically maybe make uh, these uh, pot stocks attractive?
4: Well, good afternoon, Cisco, and thanks again for having me on. You know, this is not a for sure thing, but, you know, that right now cannabis industry stocks are taxed uh, with an added burden, which is uh, called 280E, and that's a tax regulation that basically says that if you uh, produce illicit drugs, uh, you are tax you cannot write off your expenses to a, to the, the degree that most companies can now that means that these stocks uh, are uh, get have an additional tax burden that sometimes is 60 70 eighty percent of sales so it's very hard for these companies to have a bottom line profit in the current environment the question is is Will Will Congress move to change that, uh, and will they do it soon? I think eventually it will happen, but the question is, will it happen next year? Uh, the Democrats ran uh, on, the, on the position that they were going to reform have cannabis reform uh, you know in, in 2020 and 2021, but nothing really has happened, and it's kind of been dying in Congress right now, but now the Republicans are kind of seizing on that and bringing their own bills to the House. To address some of the uh, legalization issues in in the cannabis industry, so I believe that even though the the industry is is trading very low right now and is having a bad year, that it sets up great for next year. Given that some things are going to going to happen and there are going to be positive catalysts in the industry, including a banking bill and then p- possibly removal of that two eighty e tax. Uh, Um, situation, which is actually ridiculous when you look at it. When these companies are already taxed highly at the state level, um, they're also paying uh, ridiculously high taxes at the federal level that make no sense. I mean, basically the only reason why this is happening is because cannabis is still considered as illicit as heroin and cocaine. And if it gets off the schedule one and two uh, of the drugs uh, list and put in more of a reasonable category, um, because it really compares to alcohol much more than it compares to heroin and cocaine. Um, If that happens, then 280 disappears, and these stocks are going to make a lot of money, and that should make a lot of money for their investors.
2: Okay, so briefly here, kind of give us a quick lightning round, some of the cannabis stocks people should be paying attention to.
4: Sure. So I did explain that pretty, pretty in depth, but yeah, getting no, to it was the, good. It was good. leave is out of Florida and they are uh, a great company uh, as far as having a great balance sheet. So their symbol is T C N N F Tom, Charlie, Nancy, Nancy, Frank, they're a great company that that uh, is primarily in Florida, and we love them because their balance sheet's strong. These three stocks are all great balance sheet companies that can weather the storm of this 2 e until it gets removed. So you want to be in one of these names because you never know what how long this could take. Another stock, Cureleaf, C-U-R-L-F. It's another uh, name that has – they're in 17 states, uh, mostly on the East Coast and Midwest, but they're the biggest in sales of all the companies in, in America. And then there's Green Thumb, which is a, uh, headquartered right here in Chicago, another great multi-state state operator that has uh, uh, stores in 14 states, and it, it, it's another pristine balance sheet. So you want these companies that are safe so that they can weather the storm until these, these ridiculous laws get changed.
2: Good insight as always. Thank you. That's Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Markets are mixed. The Dow up ninety eight. the NASDAQ down 281, and the S&P is down 18 points. Let's see what's going on. Art Hogan is here, chief market strategist at National Securities based in New York. Art, what do you make of what you're seeing on the markets today?
5: Yeah, a little bit of volatility here, mostly in technology. When we look at the uh, makeup of the S&P 500, tech is uh, the biggest drag, and and Apple's the biggest drag as part of the technology sector. Uh, Apple's had an interesting run here, spent most of November in the 140 range, literally climbed about 30 points in the month of December so far, and giving back a few points today. So I think that's just a give and take that is Apple, which has been just outsized gains. Over the course of the fourth quarter, here away from that, though, as you mentioned, energy prices higher. The energy sector's up a couple percentage points, and that's helping. But when you when you counterbalance those two, energy only makes up about five percent of the S P 500, whereas tech makes up about thirty percent of it. So it's hard to push back when technology is coming under pressure, and I think that's what we're seeing today. So therefore, you have the the uh, Nasdaq down a whole lot more than the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and certainly more than the S and P. And I think this is just the give and take as we try to figure out what the the road in front of us is. We've got a Fed that uh, has a very clear message for us that rates likely go higher at some point next year, but we also have uh, economic data that continues to prove out to be very good.
2: Let's talk about interest rate hikes. The Fed says three next year, at least that's their plan. And, uh, you know, the the stocks actually rose a little while after the announcement. Do you think Wall Street's shrugging it off, though?
5: Well, I think this is a a pretty terribly kept secret of monetary policy, right? We, we've known for at least two weeks that had shifted from transitory to taper. We uh, estimated that what they would do is double the size of their taper. They did. We estimated they'd pull forward three of their rate hikes from 23 into 22, and they did. So I think the market celebrated the fact that uh, everything they talked about yesterday was inside the realm of consensus. So I think that's important. I also think that the market's and anticipation of this meeting it had sold off for about two weeks in a row. So the NASDAQ and S P were down for two consecutive weeks. So that was off for four consecutive weeks. So a lot of what was delivered yesterday by Jay Powell and the FOMC was really priced into the market. And I think what we're doing now is saying, okay, how do we position ourselves if, in fact, we're going to be in a rising interest rate environment over the next 12 months? And, and I think that means you sell the long-duration growth stocks. That's been happening for several weeks. I think that continues to happen. You buy those growth stocks that are measured in a in a price to earnings, not a price to cash flow or a price to sales. And then you, you try to focus on some of those um, very economically sensitive cyclical stocks. And, and we're seeing that as well with energy and financials and materials leading the charge today.
2: And going forward, you, you already talked about tech. Going forward, what should we think, though, is, uh, you know, the tech sector, it just seemed like, you know, it's just rising, rising, rising. And, and now there's a little bit more of a challenge there.
5: There's going to be more of a challenge, and especially for the long-duration tech trade, meaning you're growing revenues rapidly, but you've got uh, profitability a few years out. And when you have that situation, you need to use a, a calculation to get back a net present value, and that calculation changes when interest rates go higher, right? So if you were to scribe a multiple of 20 to a company that's going really rapidly at 1% interest rates and you go to 2% interest rate, you need to cut that multiple in half and then that multiple gets down to 10. And we've seen that happen in a lot of the really rapid growth pre-earnings companies. So I think your focus uh, for the next 12 months should be on... Uh, Technology companies on the gross side of the spectrum that have earnings and, and have measurable PEs. And I also think you want to balance that with exposure to cyclicals. So I think energy, financials, materials, and industrials will also do well. Just keep that balanced.
2: And uh, anything as we push forward here, you know, you're reopening, you got some travel stocks that are doing a little better. Uh, anything you th- you think that maybe still be undervalued given the fact that we are open and a lot of these companies are doing well again?
5: Yeah, I think the biggest area of, uh, of overshoot in the market right now is the payment names across the board, whether it's Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or even some of the disruptors like Square and, and PayPal. And for no good reason, that entire group has come under pressure because I think there's some new disruptors that perhaps we're going to get into their neighborhood. But I think the backbone of the payments, the uh, payment systems, whether it's Visa or MasterCard, continue to be undervalued here and likely have a very explosive growth in front of us in the next 12 months.
2: Thanks so much. Always good
1: to talk with you. That's Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist at National Securities. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's
2: Technology Thursday. The popularity of electric vehicles is already surpassing most expectations. It's raising questions about the future of oil. Paul Hockman is here, president of Humongous Media. Uh, Paul, I mean this it, it, it seemed futuristic. It, it seemed 20 years off, and yet now you have more and more electric vehicles on the roads every day.
6: That's exactly right. In fact, the growth, if you uh, look at some of Deloitte's predictions and numbers, uh, total EV sales are going from 2.5 million last year to roughly 11 million in about three years from now, and then about 31 million uh, electric vehicles by 2030. So, roughly speaking, that would make EVs about a third of the total market share for new cars. Now, as that relates to oil, obviously, you know, cars are the biggest or or one of the biggest, you know, consumers of of oil-based stuff, namely gasoline. And one prediction by Bloomberg says that the current glut in oil, about 2 million barrels a day, meaning in terms of production versus use, as early as 2023, meaning a year and a half to two years from now, that that glut is going to be taken up, or meaning disappear, by the use of electric vehicles, meaning there's going to be a crash as early, says Bloomberg, and to, the, to an extent Deloitte, as early as 2023 or 2024 in that oil price. You just mentioned the price going up to 70 bucks plus a barrel. Folks are going to actually see that plunge if those predictions hold.
2: And uh, when we're talking about more and more of these electric vehicles, getting to the point where, uh, what, what you, you have no internal combustion engine? I mean, they're just not even around, right? Everything will be electric.
6: By the way, not only that, you, you put your finger on something very important. Not only will the engine itself not need oil, i.e. gasoline, but there, there will be no more oil lubricants necessary because moving parts are going to go away. Um, so there are a lot of oil-related uh, you know, products that are in a vehicle that don't just go to gasoline. And that includes those lubricants uh, valves that are going up and down to allow air in for the combustion of gasoline. Whoever makes valves is going to have an issue if they don't, if they don't adapt. I mean, this has been a long time coming, literally a hundred years. Um, Studebaker, uh, an old now defunct car maker used to be a carriage maker they used to make american wagons and then they became car makers when they saw you know the writing on the wall so to speak well the same thing is happening right now uh, so a lot of these companies are deciding whether or not they should stop you know they should pivot immediately and stop making stuff that's oil related and pour their resources into developing ev Focused uh,
2: products. Yeah, I'm thinking you you have uh, okay more and more electric vehicles. Those things need to be charged. A lot of people are going to be able to do that at home, uh, and, and yet there does seem to need to be this infrastructure not only for when people are traveling on the road, but if you have people like here in the city, you got a lot of people just park on the street. They don't necessarily have access to some sort of a charging station.
6: You're absolutely right. Infrastructure is the key barrier right now. Uh, price, of course, is a major one, but infrastructure, I, by the way, you know, speaking only personally, I've hedged my bets, right? I have a PHEV, a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, which means my little, you know, sporty little wagon gets 60 miles to the gallon because I drive mostly in town, um, 60 miles to the gallon plus, but if I go on a road trip, I can depend on that infrastructure where there are gas stations everywhere, um, so if I want to go on a long trip, I'm not going to be stuck, but that moment, that infrastructure moment, which is how most people predict within the next three to five years, where that's going to be sustainable enough for average long distance travel uh, to, to satisfy customers. If that happens, infrastructure will will actually uh, create this pivot almost immediately.
2: Yeah, which is just, just absolutely huge because that's what people need. So, uh, future of oil. I mean, that's we'll talk more to oil analysts, but I mean, it really is a radical change here on the way things have been for a hundred years. You're absolutely right. And by the way, it's worth mentioning.
6: In 1902, I'm sure I mentioned Studebaker, but in 1902, that's when Studebaker entered the automotive business with an electric vehicle. Remember, this thing's been around, literally, this technology's been around for 100 years. Granted, lithium-ion and everything else is fairly new, but the idea of an electric vehicle has been around forever, and it has caused a pivot 100 years ago, and it's easy to predict that it will cause a pivot again. You know, when I'm, you know, if I were to predict, and I don't play the ponies, but I'm going to say, you know, between 5 and 10 years, you're really going to see that infrastructure and the lowered
2: cost of batteries make that pivot happen. Yeah, makes sense. Thank you, Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media. That's Technology Thursday. Cashing in with conversation, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Experts are aggressively looking for fixes after the discovery of security issues in a widely used software. We welcome Adam Levin, co-host of the podcast, What the Heck with Adam Levin. He's also author of the book, Swiped. Uh, Adam, can of help us understand here, what is this security issue?
7: Well, first of all, the problem is you're dealing with software that's everywhere. And it now has been rated as a critical vulnerability a 10 out of 10 vulnerability. Now, to start with the premise, this is open source software. So this was built by volunteers released to the public for free. A lot of people have eyes on it so that if a vulnerability is discovered, somebody sounds the alarm and then a patch is created basically to close a hole. Now, this software is particularly critical because it's it's logging software, which keeps track of everything on a server. And if something is a problem within the organization, a network or anything else, the go-to place you go is to the, the uh, server logs to see what's going on. Because of a hole in this software, a hacker, a threat actor, could crawl into the network of an organization. And because this is sort of like a God view... Uh, they could see where everything is, what's going on, and then they could plan as to what they were going to attack or what they were going to freeze access to. So that's why it's a problem. Now, generally, a problem is discovered, a patch is developed, which was the case here, and it's issued. Unfortunately, the patch that was was created and issued, it had a flaw in it, so they had to fix that. But that only took about 24 hours. But here's the rub. This is the holiday season. So this is a bad time for a lot of companies because many are under resourced. Many have a lot of folks that are on vacation. Many have people that aren't that skilled. They need to go to outside help because we don't have enough cybersecurity people in this country. For example, uh, you're asking limited staffs to deal with a problem at a time of the year when not a lot of people are around. And so it has to be patched it's taking time to patch and as a result of that time lag a lot of companies are exposed which means a lot of people end up being exposed
2: and that patch i mean the the under resourcing of the companies i mean it seems like they can go ahead and, and create the patch and they can get it out there but these companies have to actually download it and actually put it into place
7: that is correct and, you know, it, it's a terrible thing to say, I, there's a solution, but I got nobody to implement the solution. Uh, so, you know, this is if you it, it, put it in the ultimate context, this is a zero day exploit, which is something nobody ever knew about till they showed up where the time to act was yesterday. But unfortunately, most people won't be available till the day after New Year's.
2: Yeah, well, that's seriously. It, so in, it's in, it, in the, yeah, but in that time, who knows what they could do?
7: No, this is very true, because right now, apparently, there are over 100 tax per minute. So, and you also have to look at this as part of what the Internet is all about. The Internet is iterative. We build things, we find flaws, something breaks, we fix it. We then we find other flaws, we fix it. So it's the Internet is a process. And a lot of times you have a situation. This is a situation. It needs to be dealt with. Is it a crisis? Not exactly, but what it is is a situation that developed at a moment when there weren't a lot of people to solve the situation, which, by definition, then created a crisis.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Thanks. Really good insight, Adam Levin. He's co-host of the podcast What the Heck with Adam Levin.
1: (laughs)